Welcome to the Knowing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bachman, and I am a licensed professional counselor. On the show, we read and unpack the Bible together with the goal of knowing Jesus better. Go figure. On today's episode, we'll be reading John chapter 1, verses 13 through 34. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This was He, of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who was at the Father's side, has made Him known. These are just a few verses compared to our last reading, but there's a lot to unpack here. In just verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word, the story of God, the truth of God comes and enters into the story. All the prophets, all the promises have been leading up to Jesus. Jesus comes into the story in flesh. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We would miss out if we just passed on through that to to miss the realities that the Lord king of heaven and earth, who was surrounded by angels in perpetual glory and praise, who never felt pain or hurt or discomfort or dissatisfaction, apart from humanity grieving him, um, enters the story to walk among us, to allow himself to have splinters, to have to deal with the heat beating down on his forehead, sweat dripping down from his brow. He enters the story, allows himself to be vulnerable, to have needs, to be hungry, dare I say, to have to be constipated and deal with all the things that humanity has to deal with. He enters the story, born humbly in a manger. What leader has the world ever seen who had enough security and confidence in who they are, their identity and rule to allow themselves to live as humbly as Jesus Christ did as he enters the story. Between his entrance and his life, he shows a magnificently different way of living and leading. He defines leadership by turning the entire equation on its head as we will continue to see in his story. And that's just verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John may be speaking literally and metaphorically as he talks about seeing the glory of the one and only. John in Matthew 17 is part of Jesus's transfiguration where his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light and Jesus was transfigured. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. That was again, Matthew chapter 17 verses two through three. So John has literally seen 
Jesus transform, transfigured into his, whether full or partial glory, in a way that was stunning and glorious. John and others also see Jesus' glory as he performs miracles, as he leads with authority unlike anyone had seen the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the leaders of their day do. He commands with authority. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. John and the disciples saw the glory and power of a living, moving Lord who stepped down, touched down onto earth and walked among humankind. But not only this, he may be contrasting that Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just like Elijah, Elisha, and all of the others, some who were able to perform miracles. This Jesus is different. He shines and shows the glory of the Father, unlike any mere prophet, pure prophet, just prophet, if you will. Jesus is man God walking among us, Emmanuel. Moving to verse 15, John testifies concerning him, Jesus. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses a law that no human can fulfill, a law that is the way of human flourishing, and yet every single human being fails utterly, miserably short. The law can only be completed through Jesus. Moses gave the law, setting the standard, putting men under not condemnation, but awareness of our insufficiency, our inability And thank God we live in a post-Jesus world, having had him revealed to know the fullness of the law is completed through him. We get to have our face rest in him. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus has seen the Father because that's who he, that's where he came from. He came from the Father's side, and now he's entered the story with human beings. Verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. This is John the Baptist speaking. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you, want, what do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, some of the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Recapping. Verses 19, John is aware of who he is in his identity. He is not seeking out 
uh, a name for himself. He is a humble servant serving Jesus and the purpose for which he was called. He says he is not the Christ. He does not hesitate. He knows his position. He is not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? He doesn't make a name for himself. He's not concerned. He quotes Isaiah saying, I am the voice of the one calling in the desert. Some say wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. In verse 24, Pharisees are questioning again, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, Elijah or the prophet? He responds, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't understand. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Let's take a minute to understand some of what that means. Maybe you're the average person who finds feet fairly disgusting. And so you're already like, well, that's a pretty humble thing to say, I am not unworthy to tie your sandals, but we would be missing even more of the emphasis here to not understand these are ancient sandals walking around ancient streets covered in feces from animals. All kinds of nasty stuff is going to be touching your feet. Feet are disgusting more than we can imagine. And John is saying, I am not worthy to untie feces-covered sandals by this man, Jesus. He is that significant. I don't deserve to do that. I admire John's humility. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I often think way more of myself than I should And though I am delighting in spending time meditating on being a child of God, I honestly struggle sometimes seeing myself as a servant of God as well. And John right here is hitting it out of the park by saying, I am unworthy. Your feet are so holy and so other. They're the feet of God. I don't deserve to touch the feet of God. And we could all learn something about John's posture in this moment where he's saying, I'm not even worthy to touch the feet of God. Now, awesome part of the story that God actually invites us to so much more than just touching his feet. And yet we would miss the glory and the meaning of that if we didn't appreciate this Israelite's heart who had a reverence that our Western culture does not understand and could really learn from. Although I find the individualism in Western society can be a beautiful thing, I think it's also cost us a great deal that we don't have any understanding of holy, of royalty, of humility. And this is where we can learn from John and his posture. And if we don't have that posture, we can ask our Father who is willing to give us anything we ask in his name when it's according to his will and admiring him and considering him holy and being humble, (laughs) my friend, those are in line with God's will. That is an absolute answer to prayer, (laughs) guaranteed. John's humility does not stop here. Picking up back in verse 29 The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water 
was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, Jesus. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. John, again, is not seeking a name for himself. He is fulfilling his destiny, which is to make way, uh, make the way for the Lord. And he shouts, I can only imagine, joyfully proclaiming, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Up to this point in Israel's history and the people of God's history, the covenant people, this was not a claim that could ever be made. Sins had to be regularly, temporarily taken away by animal sacrifice. You go, you sacrifice the animal, and you're going to have to come back. And in this statement, this is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This must have been the most joyous moment in this man's life. All of Israel's history was leading up to this moment that Jesus would enter the stage and he gets to reveal that Jesus has entered the story. After this, the main part that speaks to me, at least, is this uh, passage we see where the Holy Spirit is like a dove that lands on Jesus. And to John the Baptist, this is a confirmation that this is the Son of God. I don't know if I'm just reminding myself or others the significance that the Son of God entered the story, and he's not done with this story. If I'm honest, my heart gets bleak and cold and crusty as I see the amount of hatred and division and pain in our world, and I can often think, oh God, where are you? Why do you delay? Why don't you come back? Why don't you fix this creation? The creation groans, human beings groan. We need the Lord. And passages like this remind me of his sudden entrance into the story, his power and his might, his perseverance. I mean, the Israelites were waiting thousands of years for Jesus to enter the scene. But it's encouraging to remember that even though they were thousands of years ago, those who got to see Jesus, those who didn't get to see Jesus, are all at his side right now. We're in this together, unified under the saving love of God. There are countless men and women who yearned and longed to see Jesus and didn't get to see him until they died. There are countless men and women who struggled throughout the biblical narrative that said, how long, O Lord? When will you come? When will you deliver us? And there's a part of our faith that is, for me at least, neglected and yet so beautiful that this isn't, <laughs> this isn't a new faith. This is an ancient faith with thousands of years behind it, hundreds maybe of generations, countless people all longing to see God, to see him move, to see him restore, and we're in this together. Let's do a quick recap before we wrap up for today. We saw God enter the story, take on human form, live among us in all the beauty and power that that means that our God knows our stories and walks with us. 
we saw John the Baptist be a humble servant. He models what it looks like to be a leader and our pastors and our leaders should look like him who do not care about their own glory, but they care about the glory of Christ. They wanna see him be made a big deal about, not themselves, not in it for the money, not in it for the fame, they're in it for Jesus's glory. And then a last theme is that we see Jesus is the lamb of God, the foretold sacrifice that puts an end to animal sacrifice He makes the way. He is our champion and our rescuer out of love. That concludes today's episode. Listen to the outro for more information, and I look forward to connecting with you next episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear something you've learned or want to learn more about. You can share comments and continue the conversation on social media. Links are provided in the description. You may be wondering, hey, Brian, we're supposedly reading through the New Testament in five months, but you only cover 40 verses every other day. How is that possible? You, my friend, are observant. The short answer is we are building towards more content daily, but I also need your help. Liking, sharing, telling your friends are all very helpful. And the most helpful thing you can do is to become a supporter for as little as $4 a month. Thanks again for listening, and I can't wait to dive into more life-giving scriptures with you.